Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. Hello, hello to you. I'm Jay Hall, and welcome again to the History of Being Black podcast. And I am joined today by, this is a cheat code episode, and I'm looking at her face expression right now, and I can't help but blush a little bit, because this is um, the homie, a a sister, a a spiritual dancer, a psychotherapist, a professor. She has all of these accolades, but what I like to kind of say dear to my heart is that she is just one of the wisest young Black women I've ever got a chance to actually meet in person and know. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I am talking about Shayna E. Vaughn. Heavy on the E. How are you? I'm Jay. I'm well. How are you? Thank you for that. I am well. And I think that at this point, it might have been three weeks. I might be officially recovered from Howard Homecoming that you and I shared that weekend because it was a lot. My back still hurt. My knees still hurt, (laughs) but here we are, but here we are. We made it. We made it. We, we made it, man. I, I tried to be productive. I I tried and I was pretty productive post Howard homecoming, but man, it was nothing like time letting me know that I am no longer 19 or 29 or 32. Yeah, we're old tower for real. I had to take a pill. I had to take BC powder. I had to like do ointments when I got in because I was trying to go down low. Don't tell the kids. And it's, it wasn't good, but it was great. It was great. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, my first most important question is how are you? I am well. We are in election day here in Philly, so everything is kind of shut down, yet turned up. We're getting ready to have our first black woman mayor in Philadelphia. She's also a soror, so I'm just waiting for the party. I'm just waiting for the news to say Sherelle Parker is our mayor, but it's a very quiet day here. How are you? I'm well, and I'm glad that you asked me because I actually started using the word I'm well maybe about early this year. Um, I, you know, you and I, we, I, I told you when I saw you last, when we saw each other last year at homecoming, it was so quick, but it was one of the most important moments for me. It was like five seconds. And we was like, Hey, you was like, Hey, you was going your way. I was going my way. And you paused and you said, Hey, I'm proud of you. And man, it was like, everything just froze. Cause you had no idea what my year was like. I had no idea what your year was like, but man, we had a moment. Cause that was our first homecoming post you know, COVID, whatever. And, you know, COVID has shifted me. I've been very public about that. And when you said that, I just, whew, I didn't know I needed that, but I did. And I, you know, so earlier this year, I've been using the term I'm well, because I've been understanding what that word really means. And so instead of me just passively saying, I'm good, I'm good. It's no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm well right now. I've, I've come out of some storms and, and I'm well. So thank you for asking. No problem. Now, 
you kind of already said it a little bit, but you know, Philly, born and raised? West Philadelphia. I'm the real West Philadelphia, born and raised. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other place I've, I've lived is Washington, D.C. So I was in D.C. for seven years and then I came back home. Yep. Now, we have all been watching, I would say, the mainstream of Philly since the 80s with Fresh Prince and then, you know, watching the TV shows and things like that. But for a creative like yourself, what is Philly for you? For a creative, right now, I'm going to be very honest, Philadelphia is dark right now for a creative. We are in a war here in Philadelphia. I don't know if you guys are aware the amount of gun violence that is taking place right now in the city of Philadelphia. And so the psychotherapist side of me is running into the burning building to help as many people as possible. The creative side of me is running into the building as well, but I'm running out much faster because I need to preserve like the softness that I have as a creative. And what's happening in this city right now is it, it will make you calloused and cold and concrete. And I noticed that this summer when working with the girls, when it was time to write the script, when it was time to create, I like burst into tears and they were like, what's wrong, mom? And I'm like, I can't find the creative thing in me because it's underneath all of this rubble, all of this hardness, this armor. So right now, Philadelphia, for me, although we are the home of so many great creatives, they in my opinion, came up in a time when that was really welcomed. And I feel like right now we're trying to survive over here. So people not really focused. They are. There's a, there is a huge creative community here. But for me, Jay, I am caught between these two worlds of being like a public servant and then, you know, walking in the steps of a Nina, who's like the artist's job is to reflect the times. So That's real. Do you recall your first creative moment as a child? That's such a good question. I've never been asked that. The people tell me that I, at three years old, at the preschool show, knocked the kids down, okay? And <laughs> if you ask my mama and my grandmother, I knocked them out the way, and I was playing the guitar like this and threw my head back and they looked at each other and was like what are we going to do and then they put me in Philodenko and I knocked the kids down again in the ballet dance um that's what they tell me my first creative moment was in my head sitting at my great-grandmother's um table ashe um at her table and I was in my head writing a script um, to a show that I later did on children in 2014. So that was when I was like seven and I was every character in the show and I could hear music and I could hear music like a soundtrack and I was writing the music and then singing it. This is all in my grandmother's table when I'm supposed to be doing like shapes or something. That's what I remember. So I'm going to bounce around because... I recall my first um, digital memory of you because we didn't we we didn't know each other while we were at Howard at the same time like that, but we both was in fine arts. Fine arts was my minor, 
And so we have so many mutual friends. And the first time you came across my timeline, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was when I think you were doing like the one woman play Sage. And I said, hey, yo, I don't, I don't know who she is, but I'm believing that Sage is insane. Because you, you were showing little parts of it on IG. She's gone. And we have to bring her back. My bones just hurt. So I did sound red in 2016, 2016, May of 2016. So I didn't have a chick nor child at this time. Um, it was a one woman show. It was an hour and 45 minutes. I wrote the entire script. Um, I wrote the book. So if you came to the show, you purchased the book as well. Um, I did a whole set with a band and sang Nina Simone, um, Nat King Cole's version of the Autumn Leaves and CeeLo's Crazy. That was my set with the band. And then I think I did about three um, dance pieces an hour and 45 minutes. I would run off the stage, they would give me water and I would go back, they would push me back out literally because I was exhausted from the whole experience. Um, and then, but I actually went to see, what is his name? Gosh, he played Byron Douglas on A Different World. We love him. You know who I'm talking about. He went, He did a one man show as Dick Gregory on Broadway um, the week before I did Sound Red and I went to see it open tonight. John Legend produced it. I cannot think of his name right now, but he also, he did two hours. No intermission, no break as Dick Gregory. And all he did was change his jackets and smoke cigarette to show you that he was Dick Gregory. And so I was like, oh, I can do this next week. I wasn't prepared. The stamina that it required, the whole thing. But it was it was a shining moment. And that was before I was a therapist. And that was before I really was on this mental health kick. But I was on the mental health thing. Um, at that point, but I don't think we were all on it. This is 2016, 2015. We weren't on it. So when we were talking about Sage, I remember people being like sending me quiet messages like, you know, what it what is what is self-harm? Like you mentioned cutting yourself up, like I've done that. What made you do it? And I didn't have the answers then because I really hadn't been to school. And so now here we are in 2023. And Sage makes all the more sense to everybody. So she was definitely before her time. This was back in the era when I we were all just getting on IG. If you would have put Sage out now, that would have been a viral moment. That's just, that's my opinion. That's that's how I feel. And we're talking about Brother from Another Planet, Joe Morton. We had him on the show not too long ago. Talking about Joe Morton is, is the actor, fantastic actor. Um, they have a show right now where they actually are teaching acting class on on, on one of the networks. But yeah, that's what you're talking about. And you're right. We wasn't talking about it as a collective back then. But, you know, you, you have all of these talents. But I, I don't want to skip past that because you brought up Philodenko and that the founders, um, Joan Myers-Brown, legendary dancer. I mean, how did your mom or your family, how were they able to choose out of all the creativity you had as a child to say, OK, we're going to choose dance? That's a black mama thing in Philly. That was an era thing, right? So if you had a child that was creative in Philly at that time, your baby went to dance school. And your baby either went to Philodenko, which was Philodenko at that time, Philadelphia School of Dance Arts, or your baby went to Freedom Theater. And so Freedom Theater 
you know, Erica Alexander comes out of Freedom Theater. So many of the Philly, like, greats come out of Freedom Theater. However, my mama couldn't afford Freedom Theater. Freedom Theater was high. So she was like, well, we're going to go to Philadelphia and you're going to take ballet and we're going to, we're just going to figure this out um, because they didn't know what to do with me. So they sent me to dance school. They didn't know what to do. God bless it. I wouldn't know. I'd have been like, is she touched? You know, I would have wondered. And so they sent me to Philadelphia, but Joe Myers Brown, living legend, Joe Myers Brown in her 90s, still kicking, still down at the dance school, walking around in um, dress slacks with a crease in them and stockings, okay? Letting the girls have it. Um, she knew exactly what to do with not just only me, but all the little black girls from that era that came through that school. Now, this is just a selfish question on my part. Is Joe Myers Brown... Is that how you had an interest in going to Howard? I know she was a professor there. You know what? No. I didn't even know the connection with JB and Howard until I got down there. And JB said to me, why aren't you a dance major? And I said, well, I wanted to be a dance minor. And she said, I'm going to make a call. And she cussed out somebody over in the dance department. And um, <laughs> I still wasn't a dance minor. But that's when I realized, oh, Aunt Joan has, she was a professor at Howard. Um, and I think her name was Sherelle, who was over Dr. I don't want to say wrong names, but she was over the dance program there. And her and Aunt Joan were very close. And she did call her and say, you know, my baby is down there and you're not letting her take class. And I, I, I still was being fast and ain't go take no class um, anyway. But that's when I realized JB's power. But no, I was introduced to Howard by Ayana Hines, who and Courtney Taylor, two Philly Howard girls, who said, would you consider Howard? And I was like, I'm going to Juilliard or I'm going to Spelman. And I said, but I'll go down there and visit. And I hit that yard in November of 2002, and that was it. I felt home instantly. I can't, you understand it. It was like uh, I knew it was where I was supposed to be. Yep. So, yeah, that Howard experience is an amazing one when you touch on the yard. Now, I, I've this show, people who have listened are so used to me talking about my experience. Can you describe your experience going to an HBCU and going to the Mecca? Because I got a boast. I got a brag. We here. That's just what it is. If you, <laughs> if you hear, you hear. That's just what it is. What was your experience like doing it? It was like being an alien um, this entire time and then all of a sudden being around tribe. Like I felt like I was kind of, you know, someone once told me everyone at Howard is the best of their community. Like they're like the high school person and then they, then we're all in one spot at one time. So that energy is loud. That energy is um, raw. Howard is, Howard is a mirror for me. That's, that's what I will always say. My HBCU experience was... Oh, God. It's the experience that I think my great-grandmother wished she had. My grandmother wished she had it. That everybody, it felt like I was going to school for the whole hood. Um, that's how it felt. And it felt welcomed at Howard. Um, it was, everything is through the lens of Blackness. 
through the lens of black excellence, but then also through the lens of like the pain of being black too. Like that was also there. It was very weighty. So it was weighty with the greatness and then it was weighty with like, and what solution um, will we come up with to help our people? So, and then Howard's just Howard. It's just magical. That's why everyone wants to be us. <laughs> you, you, I'm not, I'm not doing this with you. I'm not doing this with you. <laughs> not the pause. I'm not doing this with you. I'm just not. I'm, here's what I will, you know, I, I always felt like it amplified who I already was in a sense, right? I was already this young, very like pro-black coming from this all black city, Detroit. I'm already this pro-black. I transferred from, from Wayne. And so I get the Howard and I felt as if it, it gave me permission to take it up as many notches as permission. I want. And as much as I have found a tribe, it also had a space for me to be independent, be on my own island and be a tribe. And it still does that for me to this day. Yeah. You know, and it's and, and it's it's a gift that keeps on giving. It still remains probably for me the most single, most important decision I've ever made in my adult life. Because everything goes back to that for yeah. me when I made that decision. So yeah, that is a take on that. Now for you, you you know you there, you being queen. Now post Howard though, you do some things. I mean, um, who wakes up and says I want to be Miss America, but actually yeah. tries to go do it, and then did it? Just ghetto. I don't really know <laughs> <laughs> who does that. I thought about that the other day. My little twenty-one year old self. But you know where it started? It all does go back to Howard because. As Miss Howard, first of all, if you can win Miss Howard, and then now they vote you in or something, some newfangled stuff the children are doing. But in our day, you had to do a pageant and compete and no current events and walk in heels and be, I mean, you had to have, you or you got, you didn't get booed per se, but they, Howard is a rough audience and everyone in Howard knows their stuff. So the Howard energy took me to, and also I was Miss Black, Miss Black and Gold. So I was in this whole pageant world. And then I was like, I got recruited by Miss District of Columbia. And I was like, why not? That's that Howard arrogance. I didn't even know what I was getting into. Where you like, I can, I can do anything. If I did Howard, child, Miss America's a whole other monkey. But yeah, I went over there. Yeah, but you won a lot on the way there. I mean, you tried to be like, you know, jump over that a little bit, but you won the Miss Washington DC Black. You you did that though. I did. That's not easy. Thank you. I don't think of it that way, um, Jay. I don't think of it that way. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So I mean, you you did it. I, I just ain't want to skip over because the resume is like that. We can have like a couple episodes on the resume alone. So I'm just saying you did that, okay? And then okay, so you you go for Miss America. I right, cool. Their loss. But then describe to me life after the pageant world. You go to dance. Like you said, you wasn't, what was it for you at that point? Because for creators, I think specifically, people have to understand it's a different world for us post college. And uh, yeah, I meant, I meant that plug. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, it is. It, um, so in the midst of that, I did teach for America. So I was teaching full time and Miss DC. So I would do all of the gigs for Miss DC and then be at Anacostia Senior High School as a SPED teacher where I had students that were HIV positive. 
I just want to point out that was my first um, job too. I was a substitute teacher at Anna, I was a was counselor. At, I was like a volunteer counselor tutor at Anacostia High School. But go ahead, we continue. So yeah, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. We can all work that water. Creative, like, go work. We we go do teaching, youth, like, we go do all of those things. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm there, and I'm doing Lady Diva while I'm there, which, you know, now is Legends. And so while I'm doing the Miss DC thing, I'm getting a lot of attention for this Lady Diva thing. So the pageant thing gave light to the community work thing. And I really think that took over... And then in 2012, we started doing Legends Camp where the creative side of me was allowed to come forth more because during those years, I was just trying to like save black girls, but I really wasn't trying to save black girls. I was trying to save myself in those black girls. I was looking at each of them and I was going, if I can help them, if I can fix them, then maybe I'll feel better. So my after pageant experience, because we're talking about high levels of racism at Miss America, we're talking about... I mean, extreme levels of racism, like all these black girls that won, God bless them. The baby we just lost to, um, to death by suicide um, a few years ago, I literally couldn't get out of bed because all I kept thinking about is I know what that, at least that portion of your life looks like as a black woman. And it is rough. And so all of us dolls that came before them, you know, we kind of set the tone for them. We took a lot. We took a lot of nasty comments, bloggers. This is before, you know, social media, but they used to have blog. They used to have these blogs where they would just tear us down. Just, I can't say all the words they would use about the black contestants. And our state reps, our directors would do the same. And so I was so severely depressed. I just remember losing weight and my whole focus was, well, God, what do you want me to do? So all I kept feeling was I need to help these girls out here. The girls in Southeast that, you know, would come to me and be like, Miss Shea, I only got three pairs of panties for the week. And they trying to take me on a trip and I don't have no other panties and I don't even know how to wash them. And that crew, that was my crew. And they're all grown now. I still talk to them. But my life after pageant was that. I think you're referring to, and I'm, Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Miss Chelsea Christ. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, recipe, sorry. Yeah. What was it in you, if you don't mind sharing it, you don't have to, but that you felt needed to be fixed because you said you saw the young girls and you was really trying to fix yourself. What was that? You know, Jay, I always had a great big gift, but I, I had severe ch- ch- um, childhood trauma. Severe. And so it's such a dance when you know you're born for greatness, but you're born inside of an environment that's really not conducive for it. And so I had to like all the girlies and the guys now talking about manifestation. That's what I did to get out of West Philly. Like I would practice my interview with Oprah Winfrey if I couldn't sleep at night because my anxiety was so high. I really believed I was Whitley Gilbert. Okay. And then I manifested Howard University. But this is how I was trying to get out of these places, this concrete, like the roads that came out of concrete, that's me. So once you get out, they don't talk about the fact that like, I still have the scars from all of this trauma. So it doesn't matter if I have a crown on my head and a whole bundle weave down to my kneecaps. 
at the end of the day, I'm still Shay Shay from 62nd and Sansom, and Shay Shay went through some diabolical things that have stained her soul. And so if I, I would look at these girls and I would see it, you know, your parents are addicts. I know what that is. I know what that looks like. You've, you've gone through sexual trauma. I know what that looks like. I don't even like how I look. I don't been around these, excuse me, these white folks. They telling me, you know, do this, get thin, put your, make sure you don't have no booty, get a weave down here. Like y'all have picked me apart. I just was just miserable. And so the only thing that would make me feel good was let me try to save you. Because I, I I don't think that I can be saved at this point. I'm in my 20s, and that's how I felt. So if I can save a little girl, then maybe it'll make up for these go, these gaps I feel on the inside. Did it? In some ways, it did. I won't lie, because I do believe that our purpose heals us. I do believe our purpose heals us. I do believe our art heals us. I do. But there still had to be work to maintain it. So I would go and put on a conference and I would feel amazing while in the conference. But then the day after I would be in bed for at least two weeks in an episode of depression because it would be these highs and lows. Like, how do I maintain this good feeling? Like, and it's almost like a cup that has a hole at the bottom. So you keep pouring in and it's just coming out the bottom. That's what I feel like my 20s was. So that's why when you start talking about things that I accomplished, I don't remember it as that. I remember it as hotel rooms crying and then putting on makeup and going out and everybody seeing me and they think it's sweet. And I don't remember it as that. But that's also counterproductive to my healing because I need to remember that I did great things. Right. So, no, Jay, it was all about the kids. I didn't become a creative yeah. again until about 2012. And then I combined the kids with the creativity. And now we're 11 years, 12 years into Legends, the Legends portion of the work. That sound old. 12 years. <laughs> Yo, when you start, when, you know, it was one thing when we start doing the years, when we start doing the decades, man. I yes, I just said my just, 20s. Yeah, that's yeah. just what it is. And I, I, I kind of lay on, on the fence about it because I was just telling a cousin of mine who, thought they were saying something as a compliment. They said, you know, you always land on your feet. You know, you always make it work. And I'm like, but bro, I was really down at those at those points, you know? And but at the same time, right. And I get that you were trying to say it as admiration, right. you know, but I, your man was down, all right? And I, I could have needed a hug, a call. You know, it can't always be this, oh, you're going to figure it out, which is um, so important in this conversation that you're displaying because- yeah. No one's thinking about the hotel rooms, trying to get two hours of sleep. You putting eye drops in your eye, you know, trying to do what you got to do so you can present yourself present. to a whole rack of people with their idea of what beauty may be. Right. And so I think that's what makes you the perfect person when it comes to mentoring young girls. And that's why I would like for you to kind of touch on how did the legend house surface? Because I, 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 I see that on my timeline all the time. And I got to tell you, that's one of those things I see with the young girls dancing. And they're all ages, all different shades of black. And and it just it's a beautiful sight to see that comes up because it comes up so random. Can you tell us about how that come up? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. 
Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So in, at 19, I started Lady Diva, which... Dang. 19, I started Lady Diva, and that was all about just helping girls just deal, right? And then a mentee of mine had a dream, and she came to me and was like, Shay... I dream that you had us all in a studio and you had a choir, you had people doing plays, you had dancers, and it was still Lady Diva, but it had like all this artsy stuff. And I was like, that's my answer. So we started um, Legends Camp in 2012, and it was like a performing arts camp. And at the end, I would write a show. And they would perform it. Our first year, the show was in a cafeteria at, <laughs> at a charter school. And now we are, the production level has just gone so high that people here in Philly can't wait for it. We tackle issues that um, are happening right in real time. So in 2020, we did the cell. Our girls were in prison. Um they had masks on. We we did six performances because we could only have a certain amount of people in the theater. Um, Will Smith sent his crew out. I saw um, that. It was a big. I, 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 I wasn't going to let you skip over that, but I'm glad you get on that because I'm like, because I follow Will. And one day I'm on my timeline and I'm seeing two of the same videos from two different people. And his niece was in one of your programs, right? Am I tripping? A legend. His niece has been mm-hmm. a legend for four years. Um, we love the family. We stand with the family. Um, and I think that's when I was like, something's happening here. And it's, you know, it's bigger than us. I always say at, in the house, um, and I give that, that is my nod to the house culture, to ballroom culture. Um, I love house culture in the LPGTQIA community. I love the fact that there are people who get to have chosen, chosen family. Not I have to have, but I get to have, right? Because we all don't get to have our, our family that is loving and, and and supportive. And so I always loved house culture. There's a house mother. There's a house father. Well, I'm the house mother at the Legends House. I'm your teacher. I'm your therapist. I am going to teach you about your people. Um, and in and, and the Legends House, African-American studies is a requirement. Um, from a baby, you are learning about the Willie Lynch letters, um, my girls can sit and have discourse with you about what's happening in the world. They can battle with you about W.E.B. Du Bois versus Booker T. Um, they are very clear on that because they have to be, because they have to bring that to the dance, to the floor, to the art. And so that's the house. I mean, we don't have a house. My dream is to literally have a house where people can come and take refuge, women and girls. But I think the arts component combined with the girls component was the game changer. Let's do a slight pivot because again, the resume is smooth. How does that say I'm about to be a psychotherapist? Like who I I need you to, I need you to make that connection for us, please. I'm going to make the connection. When you have girls coming to you telling you they don't want to live and you and you pull from your experience and your gift and you see like a transformation in them. 
I had to pause and go like, there's something here that I'm missing. Even when I was in schools, I was a classroom teacher, but I really was the therapist. Like the school counselors would come and get me and be like, you got to come down here and deal with. I mean, and it wasn't just the girls, like my black um, male students gravitated me and they called me mom. Like that was always my role in the school. And so I started with coaching. And right here, I'm pointing over here, y'all can't see it. The Hilton, I used to go to the Hilton and see clients at the Hilton and God bless her soul. One of my clients, her name is Tanya. She has since um, passed away. She would pay me a rate that like an ungodly rate. Like I can't believe that I was even trying to charge that with no credentials. And she would pay me and be like, I, I don't want to talk to a therapist. I want to talk to you. And something said, apply, go to school. So I applied to the University of Pennsylvania. I was accepted to the University of Pennsylvania. I deferred for a year and um, started in 2016 and graduated in 2018. And all of my professors agreed that I needed to go directly into private practice. I didn't have one professor advise me to go and work for anyone else. They were like, if you start right now, you're going to be fine. Mm. So that's how that happened. I but can't. you also you also became a professor there too. You so, want to skip over that? I you also a became a professor now there in the too. same program I graduated. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just I'm getting tired of you skipping. Yay! You know, I we am. don't. Yeah, the show is called the History of Being Black, so we don't play humble here. We all about this I black elevation over here. Trying. Yes, mm -hmm. I am a professor at the University of Pennsylvania in the Graduate School of Education. I teach sociocultural counseling, and I teach a course on race and education. Okay. What was it about you in particular that they just saw this gift for you to go into private practice? What was the common thing you kept hearing? Well, they said I already had a following. So a lot of the professors there had, had the people that already, they kind of already followed me. And um, by the time I decided to attend Penn, I had already sent one of my lady divas to attend. I wrote her letter and she graduated. So while she was there, she was like, y'all need to meet my mentor. She really, you, you know, she would be great here. And then I came after her. Um, shout out to Dev. And um, I came after her. And so by the time I got there, they had already heard about this girl who has this program. And so while in Penn, though, I got, I left, <laughs> I got pregnant. I left my husband. I was like practically on a run and I never quit my baby would be in class with me. And so I think the professors looked at me and was like, you know, she a beast. No, I know that. They kind of said I was a beast. And so they've all, they kept up with me over the years. And as soon as an opening happened, I received an email inviting me to teach a class. So two things. Number one, to see your daughter do the little dancing <laughs> next, it, it has become something that has warmed my heart. And I'm trying to hold on to that memory before I look up and she's like 17 or 18 because my niece, who's always been my number one, is now a senior in college and I just nope. can't. I can't right now. So all the little ones, I need them to stay little. But it has been a joy when I see both of you all in your dancing shoes and she's next to you in sync. And you don't necessarily have to call her, but she's just there. She's just I there. I just, I just think it's just a beautiful thing to see and how the young other girls embrace her. Um, She's their baby. It's, just, it's wonderful. Yeah. So many, it's, it's, remember, like, I'm pregnant running camp. I give birth. We're back on the floor four weeks in. Camp. 
this is Soul is their baby. So this is was her first summer where she was in the show last year, but it was like this summer, it's like a whole nother. I have another child. Mm-hmm. We have to watch thriller. I knew it was bad when two o'clock in the morning I wake up in the summer and I hear Smooth Criminal on the TV in her room. And I'm like, she must have left the YouTube on and it, you know, she's up at two in the morning trying to learn choreography of smooth criminal at this time she's five so this is this is the next i'm very clear i'm very clear but i dance with her in my belly so you know (laughs) what what you know on the side of that through everything that you mentioned what was it that was keeping you intact you know to stay that to stay the course it's going to sound so cliche, but it's true. It was God. It was God, and it was going to always be God. And I have to say that it was it was God. During my pregnancy, my relationship with God was the most intimate. And I remember I would meditate, and I would be like, okay, I don't. I want to give up. You can't give up because I'm going to show you what's next. And I would see what was coming, and I would hold on to that. And so it was God. It was my people. It was Luetha Jiggett's Rudd, my great grandmother, who was who was my ancestor, it was Marion Louise, it was Gordon F. Andrews. It was all the who I believe is a part of my spirit team, just kind of paving the way. And then it was my girls. It was this this knowing that we have created this family. And I knew that if I, and I'm, I don't want you to think they haven't seen things. Just the other day in rehearsal, they were like, you were so mean. When you were pregnant, they were like, you were mean. I was like, was I? It was like, you used to scream a lot. You cried a lot. Um, They saw a lot. I had camp in my living room, in my living room here one summer because we lost our building. It. I feel like the old lady that lives in a shoe, you know, like the girls just keep coming. I don't think that they would have allowed me to stop. And I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for that level of accountability. Okay. Now, on the tail end of this, let's 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 put some of this to the test because I, I I want I want them to know that you know what you're doing. And since this is audios with a video promo, they can't really see you dance. Although I advise them to go to your page, and we'll shout that out before we leave out of here. Let's get into the therapy part because you know I'm very big on black mental health. It's something I've been in therapy for six plus years, might be seven now. Shout out to my therapist. She's on maternal leave. I'm trying not to be selfish. I understand she needs a rest, but man, I miss her. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you, I miss her. But I'm 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 diving in all of the tools that she's she's I'm she's, so she's proud of me. You for I'm diving in all the tools. I, I, I understand, but man, I'm trying not to be selfish. I understand. I'm just letting you, you know. <laughs> should, yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to give all the space. You know, I even hit her and be like, hey, hope all is well. And that's it. That's it, you know. But one thing I want to ask is, where do you think the stigma of therapy in our community comes from? Like, where do you think, where do you think that comes from? I believe it comes from um, being enslaved Africans, period. I believe, you know, I get raped by my, 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 the slave owner, my husband gets beat in front of me and broken down in front of me, emasculated in front of me. 
Um, if he tries to save me from being raped, he's risking his life. And then I still have to show up and pick cotton and clean up and probably take care of your wife and your kids. Where do I put that level of trauma? You take my babies from me. That's a level of depression. I don't even think, I think 12 years a slave nailed it. There was a sister that just cried. They didn't know what to do with her because they took her kid. They sold her kids away from her. She just sat on a step and just cried for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And so the stigma comes from, I don't get to be black and mentally unstable. I've got to pick a struggle. <laughs> you know, one is enough. And so I think we've carried that. And not only that, Jay, our generation, we are so privileged. It is such a luxury to be able to tap in because when our foremothers and forefathers were fighting for us to breathe the air that we're breathing, even though it's still tainted air, um, they didn't have the time to think about you know, how to navigate this trauma, nor was there any <laughs> actual theory that included Blackness. There still isn't now. We still have to now create new texts as Black therapists that include us and in what actually heals us. So imagine at that time, it was all about putting stuff underneath the rug and surviving. So I think that's where the stigma comes from. How dare you? be black and have bipolar disorder. Shout out to Nina Simone. How dare you? You know what I mean? Yeah. When I think about Nina Simone, I think about Miles Davis, Martin Gay, yes. yes. Kanye West, hell, yes. even, even Kurt Cobain, Virginia Woolf. Yes. What is it about creatives where there's also a display of mental instability? Creatives are teetering, not teetering, we are mentally gifted, genius, if not used in the best practices, gives way to insanity. Period. Genius combined with pain, which most creatives have dealt with severe pain, right? And if you don't deal with that pain, combined with your genius, you're now a genius, um, almost like a recluse genius. That's what I see in Kanye, who I love. There are no words for how I feel about Kanye West, right? Like, I love him. But I can tell when he's in mania. I can tell when he is unhinged. And most of the time, he just needs to go to sleep, take his meds. And be in a life situation that anchors him. His mama anchored him. He no longer has that. Creatives need anchoring. Creatives need structure in their in their controlled improvisation. It's that we still need the control, you know. And we we a lot of us don't have that. And if you are um, not careful, you will give way to quite a few different um, mental health disorders. I truly do believe that. I just, I just got three more, and then we, we got it. That, that just, that, that hit my soul. I ain't gonna lie, that hit my soul. What's an exercise you recommend for people to take care of their mental health? Like, what's, what's something quick that you? Because what I didn't realize, it took me three years to have my first breakthrough. When I had my first breakthrough, I was like, oh, 
Doesn't it? And then I, okay. yeah, it was, it was, but that was just a breakthrough, right? Like it, it didn't solve, it was just a breakthrough. Then I really start seeing the work when I start putting in practices. Mm-hmm. What's a practice that you often tell a friend or tell a patient? One, um, Dr. Howard Stevenson out of the University of Pennsylvania, calculate, locate, communicate, CLC. It's my favorite. Um, calculate. Say it, say it one more time for me, just slow. Calculate, locate, communicate. Okay. Um, calculate. I'm going to do it on you, Jay. Um, on a scale of one to 10, say you were in deep, you were, let's just do it now. Let's just see how you feel now. On a scale of one to 10, how triggered are you right now? You probably ain't four. Sure. Four. Okay, four. So four J is, is, is really not that bad. I'm proud of that. Where do you feel it in your body? Locate. Where do you feel it in your body? In my left shoulder. In your left shoulder. Let me communicate with you, Jay, on what that means. Typically, when there is pain in your shoulder area, it is a, it is a um, indication that you could be carrying something that no longer belongs to you or you are carrying things the wrong way. And it is time to lay that down. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel like you and I are going to talk after this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get late long communicate. I'm gonna be texting you after this show. <laughs> I love CLC. So, yeah. mm-hmm. He actually teaches a racial trauma um institute here in Philadelphia, and that is actually for people that deal with racial trauma. But I use it with my clients. I've had clients say, I'm at a 10. Just talking actually brings you down. People don't realize that. And then by the time you get to locate, you're about here and you're able to express how you feel. So when you're at a 10, it's my got my my job to kind of bring you down. I've heard women, more women than men say, I feel it in my stomach. Oftentimes that's a sign of purging. That's a deep, deep wound that needs to come up. Um, I've had women vomit. Um, after we've done calculate, locate, communicate, they may not vomit right then, but after the session, they'll call me and say, I don't understand what's wrong with me. Like, um, and I was like, oh, it's a purging. It needs to come out. It needs to come out or they'll cry and they'll have, I mean, cry, 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 sickly cry where you're just sitting there like, just let it come up, baby. Now for my black male clients who I love so, so much, it's always the shoulders. Mm. And here recently, it's the heart. And we find out how many Black men are actually heartbroken. But they have not been given the permission to admit that. That's real. How does the arts play into the mental health for you? I think especially for people of color, we need to move. We need outlets, right? So... Um, for dance specifically, I was going to, I didn't know if I was going to use CLC, if I was going to say this, I often tell my clients to open the windows, put on their favorite song and dance. It don't have to look good, but just dance and sweat. And as you're doing it, I say open the windows because that energy has to leave the space. So there's healing work and then there's growth work. Many of us do great growth work. Right. We can put ourselves together enough to grow, but we still stay in the energy of our trauma. So the arts allows for us to actually do healing work, work, which is moving that energy out of the body, whether it be through photography, whether it be through dance and movement, whether it be through theater, whether it be through song. We have to give meaning, which that's extremely Africana, to our pain and then find a way to release it. Hmm. That's real. I'm going to read a quote 
and you tell me what you think about this quote. Okay. All right. We fight against the very thing we know we need, unquote. You know who said that? Who said that? You. <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, it was Nina. You know, everything is Nina Simone. No. I said that. Mm-hmm. You said that. Yeah. We fight against the very thing we know we need. And we fight against it because we don't believe that we deserve it. If I can add anything else to it. Because oftentimes we know exactly what we need, but we don't believe we deserve what's on the other side of giving it to ourselves. And I think that's the tricky part. What is it about that when people get that close and they just... Self-sabotage. I just was talking about this yesterday in my story. It's self-sabotage. It is a form of self-sabotage. When you imagine being this close to the promise and then you make a decision to turn your back on it or to turn around and go in the opposite direction, um, there is something in us that believes that we don't deserve the promise, that we don't deserve to feel good, that we don't deserve to be loved well, that we don't deserve to make the money that we need to make. And so we oftentimes will sabotage the progress right then just to prove to ourselves that we weren't worthy of it to begin with. I'm trying to get there. I'm I'm trying to get there because I feel that it took me a long time to get to that point of just being unapologetic about what I've earned. I mean, no disrespect. I think a lot of times us as black people, we get told to be humble before we even get we start. And I'm like, no, I don't have to be humble. I just don't have to be rude. Well, I don't have to be humble. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't. Or I can be humble, right? But there's strength and power in that humility. Like, I'm very clear that I stand on the shoulders of giants, but I'm still standing on shoulders. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. down and humiliated. And I think that um, for us, especially in church culture and things of that nature, we are told, I sat in church the other day and the lady said a hundred times, I'm deserving of nothing good. We don't deserve nothing good. Everything good in me is because of God. I don't deserve anything good. I'm unworthy. She said it so many times. And I sat there and said, and this is why I'm like this, because I grew up in a culture that told me in order to love God, I had to remind myself that I was filthy over and over and over and over again. And that's not what God wants. I remember saying to God, God, you're so worthy. And I heard back, and so are you. Can you now talk about how worthy you are? And I didn't think that it was God because I heard my whole life that that's arrogance. But here we are in church culture, especially not just church culture. I'm sure we can find it in anything, but just because that's where I come from, you know, it's just a lot of conversation about how wicked we are and how we need to be humbled. Mm -hmm. Then how I'm going to get there when you when the guy presents the promise to me, I'm going to walk in. If you don't beat me down to believing that I'm unworthy of what he's trying to give me. You know? Yeah. I'm definitely all about kicking in the door. That's just me. <laughs> that's just me. That is that's just me. That I'm definitely all about that. 
I appreciate this. Can you tell me what's going on with the legends in the future? In the future, I would like to plant legends houses. I would like to, in 2024, we're going to be touring schools here in Philadelphia, but I am open to going anywhere at this point. My focus is Philly because Philly is in such a state of emergency, but I would like to, to see legends houses everywhere, spaces like that in schools for girls all over this country. So of course we have legends camp coming up. You know, we do that every summer. They'll have a big production. We do, I mean, this is what we do. Suzanne Roberts Theater here, Avenue of the Arts. We're known for that, but I think our girls um, have something to say. They're leaders in their own right now. And I think that they, we need to just find a way to bring everybody together. So that's how can we support? How can you support? If you know a Legends girl, no matter what city you are in and you're interested in her or learning her being a part of our movement, please go to www.thelegendshouse.org and shoot us a message and say, hey, I have a girl here who is creative and different and she has not found her tribe yet and I want her to have tribe. We will welcome her into our house with open arms. And how we find you. You can find me at ShaneyEvon.com or on Instagram at the legendary Shaney Yvonne. That's my name. And that said, I don't know what it is. This is old age. At the legendary Shaney Yvonne. I don't know why, because the way you've taken the word legendary and legend, I can only think of you when I see you. You are lying. Are you for no, real? No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I'm going to tell you why. Because oftentimes I'll always use it like in hip hop, right? Like who's a legend? Hot, big, dismissed. But I'm, I'm talking about from a visual perspective, now on my timeline, whenever I see legendary or legends, I feel like I'm hearing your voice oh. because you have been stamping that in my digital space for the past, we ain't going to go into years now because we both talked about we just old, but we've been stamping that in my visual face. <laughs> when I see legends, I hear that voice. Hey, legends. Good morning, legends. Drink water. Look in the mirror. Tell yourself you're great. I'm like, oh, so it's no longer, it doesn't just apply to who's my top five anymore. It applies to me, which is something that it I would does. say thank you that's for. It. That, that's the whole thing. I'm in my dining room right now and it's Stevie here and it's Dick Gregory and it's Donnie Hathaway and it's baby Michael. And, and I want to be surrounded by legends, but also I wonder like who was telling them that they were legends. So that's what I keep thinking about. Like at that time, they probably just was like, oh, you know, I'm good at what I'm doing. People want my gift, but do they want me? So being legendary is about wanting a person. Their gift is second, you know? I appreciate you for your words. I appreciate you for your time. I know Philly loves you for everything you do, but we love you for everything and every part of you and who you've been. You know, thank you for being unapologetically you. Thank you. Thank you for taking this time to tell about this history, because oftentimes creatives don't necessarily get a, a platform to kind of talk about like how they get there. We only seen like the final product yep. and we all and that's another issue. We're looking at them as a product and not the human side. Of the them. Human. So thank you for being that individual to be on that side of the arts and being on that side of mental health, which is two things that are very dear to me. So that's the personal thank you. I just yep. appreciate you. And also, too, we let people know who first come on the show that this is not a one time this is a, a door we want you to come back if there's something in particular you say hey jay we just need to talk about for like 30 minutes or 20 come back something you want to promote please come back somebody you want to recommend please come back because that's what we are all about so thank you thank again. you thank you okay? for having me this was wonderful thank you no thank you so much thank you i, I appreciate that
Shayna Yvonne, heavy on the E. <laughs> heavy on the E. This has been another episode of the history of being black. I definitely feel like my blackness has been elevated. Shayna, you feel like your blackness has been elevated? Yes. It has, right? I, 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 I feel that way. Into blackness. But that's a real problem. <laughs> Make sure you catch the episode on everywhere you catch podcasts. As Apple, there is Spotify, and there's all the other stuff that I always remember because I always forget because my memory is challenged. However, you can always hit us up on IG or social media platforms at History Being Black or Mean Online Media. You can follow me, Jay Hall, at Jay Hall Society. As usual, you be blessed, successful, and talk to you soon. We ghost. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O'Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O'Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O'Line Media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.